Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Yes, yes. Welcome to the show. That was like a Dune thing. We, we just did a Dune thing. We're going to be doing some Dune things. So get ready. Pull up a chair. Uh, warm up a little uh, sandworm pate and some spice. You need to know what spice is. And, you know, continue drinking your body fluids out of your still suit as you relax to enjoy the nose. And we're going to talk also about Facebook's long-awaited by Mark Zuckerberg and maybe nobody else, rebrand and its new name, which you probably know by now. But if you don't, we're going to spoil it. Uh, And we'll also talk about the question of why television that was made during the pandemic, television that purports to be anchored more or less in reality, often ignores the pandemic. Uh, And maybe that's just because we want it to. That will be adjudicated here. Uh, By whom, you ask? Helder Mira is multimedia producer at Trinity College and co-host of the So Pretentious podcast with Vivian Nabetta. So Pretentious launches its third season this weekend. You know, we're heading into a rebranding of the Colin McEnroe show, and I feel like So Pretentious is very much on brand for us. We may have to see if we can acquire that brand. Uh, may have inspired it. <laughs> may have inspired it indeed. Uh, no one no one would argue, with, at least with that premise. Uh, Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College. So we are going to begin with Dune. Um, Dune is, uh, this is the latest adaptation uh, of a Frank Herbert science fiction novel, actually six Frank Herbert science fiction novels, so you want to get technical about it, uh, from the 1960s mostly. Uh, and uh, it's been tackled before, probably most notably by David Lynch. Um, and, and now it is being tack- tackled by Denis Villeneuve, uh, who has made uh, a number of very striking and beautiful uh, movies, including the most recent reprise kind of, of or not in a sort of, a, I guess it's sort of like a a sequel, I guess, to Blade Runner. Anyway. Um, it's a sequel. It's a sequel. Sequel seems fine. Thank you, Helder. So let's begin with um, a little something from the series. Uh, you'll get a, some of the premise of what's going on here as the Atreides family, who are, for the most part, good and righteous and purposeful and here in the universe uh, to make it a better place, I guess. Uh, it's not like Greg from Succession for some reason. Um, and, and they have been told that they're kind of effectively being transferred. Uh, they're a noble house, but they're being transferred by the emperor to a place called Arrakis, uh, which is a desert planet. Let's hear Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto Atreides and Timothée Chalamet uh, as Paul Atreides. I need you by my side. When we get to Arrakis, we'll face enormous danger. What danger? Fremen? desert? Political danger. The great houses look to us for leadership, and this threatens the emperor. By taking Arrakis from the Harkonnens and making it ours, he sets the stage for a war, which would weaken both houses. But if we hold firm and tap the true power of Arrakis, we could be stronger than ever. What does that mean? Mining spice, keeping the Fremen in their place? We'd be no better than Harkonnens. No. By making an alliance with the Fremen. 
That's what I've sent Duncan Idaho to arrange. Here on Caladan, we've ruled by air power and sea power. On Arrakis, we need to cultivate desert power. So the Fremen, it, it bears noting, are kind of the indige- indigenous people uh, of Arrakis. Um, they've kind of moved away from any kind of settled areas. They live out in the desert. Uh, they have access to very little liquid. And they do wear these still suits, which recycle all their body fluids so that they can kind of reconsume them. Uh, and there's other things they do, too. And, and they go to the bathroom in them as well, which has been well documented this week. Uh, and the, the Harkonnens, we should say, are the bad nobles. Um, you can tell that in the David Lynch version because they employ bad sting. Uh, not nice sting, but bad sting. Uh, and in this one, it's the same kind of thing, uh, except it's Dave Bautista. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the cast as we go along. But Irene, I want to get the panel involved here. Irene, we, I guess we should begin by saying some of us read the book in our formative years. Uh, you and I are kind of in that position long, long ago in a galaxy far away. We both read Dune. And I guess this is your first time kind of back in Arrakis since then. Is that right? That's right. Um, in fact, I had pretty much forgotten all about Dune in, you know, for in, the, in the intervening decades since high school. And um, so, so when I knew, when I heard it was going to be a movie, I was excited because I remember the thing that I remember is my feeling of like, wow, this, this writer is speaking to me on some deep level and it's mysterious and sexy and wonderful. And I love it, you know, and um, I love the character, the male hero and everything. And um, so it was, it was interesting to see the movie and say, wait, what did I like about it? What had been going on? What was the story about? I remembered the desert landscapes and the sort of you know, a sense of, of the, of, of this, a certain kind of quest, like hero's quest or something like that. Um, but very little in the movie looked from very particularly familiar to me. Um, but another context in which I was seeing it was that I heard, I happened to hear Kara Swisher, who writes for the New York Times uh, at Trinity last week, and she was talking about her futuristic ideas about, and these blanket statements like, you know, we're not going to have offices anymore, and this is going to happen in the future. And she made the comment in the context of talking about her friend Elon, that um, that we were going to colonize space. It's just inevitable. We're going to do that. We're going to be colonizing space. And so I was thinking about that in, in, in connection with that also that it seems is it closer to reality than I might have thought or certainly than I thought years ago in high school and so it was sort of interesting in that respect so that's my starting point all right um Helder what's your starting point so my starting point is uh having been in college becoming like a huge David Lynch fan and hearing about this bizarre sci-fi epic that he had wanted to make that got cut down to only two hours despite what he had originally envisioned and watching a really crappy copy of uh, of Dune on a really crappy VHS and just like falling in love with this bizarre campy thing, but also hating that we didn't get the real version uh, that he wanted. And also like, how did it really translate? Like it was made in a time in the time of the, in the late mid eighties. So we had kind of like really bad special effects where you can see the very notable blue screen uh, where the characters are riding these, these, uh, these sandworms, but like you can see the bad background, like the bad layered and uh, background that they have, just like Flash Gordon. Um, and and I was just telling Irene, like, and even in the re- reproduction that they've just done, 
uh, for HBO Max, which looks gorgeous in, in 4K, still has like a hair in the gate at the top when like there's this epic moment of of uh, Kyle McLaughlin as Paul and and Patrick Stewart as as Gurney, like get, hopping onto this and riding this sandworm into battle. And there's just this like distracting hair and then, like just remembering like, yeah, that's what was bad about this movie to begin with. But um, and then reading the Marvel comic adaptation of that. So those were my two intros. And then I'd kind of forgotten about Dune and just kind of like dismissed it until um, watching this fantastic documentary called Yodorowsky's Dune, which is all about the Mexican film surrealist filmmaker Alejandro Yodorowsky, who attempted to make Dune, um, just creating this entire uh, pre-production schedule, like spending a year pre-producing this with like this incredible, culminating in this fantastic lookbook of just the whole film storyboarded out by the French artist Mobius um, and bringing together like Giger, H.R. Giger, the artist, and uh, Dan O'Bannon on special effects who would go on to create Alien. Like watching that documentary like really reignited my like love for this crazy world, um, especially because of Yodorowsky's like passion for it and then Lynch's passion uh, that unfortunately fumbled and and fell apart. So when I heard about Villeneuve doing this, I was really excited because I really love his work that he's done, especially as you mentioned earlier, Blade Runner 2049 is one of my favorite movies and almost, almost superior to the original. So I was really excited to see what he was going to do with it. So we have to talk about what, what he did with it. I mean, I would say, and maybe Hilder, you'll talk about this later as we go along because you saw it on the big screen, but uh, I, I feel as though you got to give uh, Villeneuve credit for realizing the thing in a visual way um, in, in a more satisfactory way maybe than anybody's done it so far. I mean, he, he does well with big spectacles. I felt bad not watching it. This is the first uh, film we've done for the nose since we went into pandemic mode where I really, really felt bad about not seeing it on a big screen. Uh, I think this might be one of these movies that only makes sense on a big screen. But to that end, Irene, you know, one of the reasons this movie maybe doesn't contain some of the Hero's Quest stuff that you remember from the book is that it's only half the book. I mean, it's a pretty long movie, uh, but it really is mostly exposition. Uh, you know, it's sort of the buildup to the story of the hero's quest. Uh, so I'm wondering if, if maybe that's kind of a problem for you. Um, Davey, to, to an extent, but part of the problem also is that was before I, I didn't really under, you know, now that, you know, I'm very well steeped in feminist theory, et cetera, et cetera. So I see the hero's quest quite differently now than I did. And I used to, I think I would just identify as a, as a, as like a high school woman, I would identify with them. I identified with the male hero. Then I, but also to an extent, I also wanted to be with as, as the woman, as a woman watching, I wanted to be with the male, male hero. And that was like a real desire, you know, um, it, that got, that gets, you know, so, so I can't help but have a part of my brain saying like, okay, so he's the hero that's going to save everything. And the women, even though his mother is very powerful and everything there's, there, there is some, you know, he, he's the guy and, um, and, and, and I'm not as I'm not as fond of that journey as maybe I maybe I once was, you know, and because I think there's something also I'm not, you know, when I watch movies like this, I actually have to agree about the visual spectacle. You know, when I saw the way that they de he depicted the worm, I've, that really like sort of touched a neuron in my brain. And I said, wow, that's exactly how I imagined it looking in the dunes with the worm coming through the dunes and everything. I thought that was fantastic. And I also wish I had seen it in in a, in a movie theater. Um, 
But um, but the idea that we're going to be colonizers, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, we're still going to colonize, but we're going to be good colonizers in, in contrast to the bad colonizers. I, I got stuck in, in, in resistance to that, um, to that idea that in a way that sort of got in the way of my appreciation of the rest of the movie, I have to say, you know, I, was, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't take it seriously in a way as, you know, as a quest. Can I jump in and just Please. like totally second what you just said, because watching it, this, watching this version, I completely agree. Like the way they build him up, uh, Paul specifically as this, like, him knowing that he's this um i'm well forgetting the name but just basically the messiah to come and save and in the context of all that's been happening in the world and you know having grown up uh, much like to what you're saying like realizing it and re- revisiting it in this context and seeing just this like white anglo force coming down to this planet where the fremen are at least in this film thankfully are, are represented by people of color and seeing that kind of like Coloniz- white colonizer coming in and even his own like Paul's own trying to be like well we're going to do better but like recognizing all my you know leftist friends that are always like no we can do this better if we call it if we like organize it like this and help the people and just always seeing that like oh wait white savior like it just really watching it this time watching this film in this context uh, really kind of took some of that was an extra bit of joy that was removed for me and enjoying the sci-fi. Whereas I did actually appreciate how much story they put into that and build up, which is better than the Lynch one, but you don't get any of that in the Lynch because he's not built up. And because the cast is so damn white in, in Lynch. So let's uh, hear another clip from the movie. Uh, this is sort of Harry Potter with no Hermione Granger. Um, and uh, on the other hand, one of the ways in which women are important in the Dune story is the Bene Gesserit. This is a kind of an order of, for want of a better term, witches. These people with kind of um, supernatural powers and specifically uh, the ability of what's called the voice, which allows them to compel other people to do things that they don't want to do. Um, so uh, one of the plot points here is that uh, Paul, played by Timothy Chalamet, uh, he is sort of the one. He's Harry Potter. Uh, his mother, uh, played by Rebecca Ferguson, uh, Lady Jessica Atreides, is in fact a member of the Bene Gesserit. What does it mean that I could be the one? You had Benedict serve as powerful partners to the great houses, but there's more to it. You steer the politics of the Imperium from the shadows. You know. You don't know everything. For thousands of years, we've been carefully crossing bloodlines to bring forth the one. A mind powerful enough to bridge space and time, past and future, who can help us into a better future. We think he's very close now. Some believe he's here. All part of the plan. So, um... <laughs> There's stuff that we could do with that, and Irene, I, I would welcome you, you doing it. But I would also just add, you know, Helder shared with us a, a tweet about how humorless this movie is. I mean, it really, 
it, it, it's it, the, the tone of voice that you hear there is very, very uh, typical about this movie. Uh, I guess it's uh, Harry Potter with no Hermione Granger or Ron Weasley. Uh, so nothing really to kind of break the portentousness uh, of it, um, Irene. And I don't know. That's almost not a mode we're in anymore. Like everything, everything's kind of serial comic these days. Everything has some little wrinkle of irony, uh, but it's just not there. No. It's not. And and I think, you know, as a mother, I sort of watching this very differently as a mother than I would have as a as a younger person and a mother of a son. And I, and so, you know, just that feeling that the mother says, you know, no, you can be the you, you know, you can you can bend space and time, you know, and, and it's up to me to sort of tr- train you to do that. And I have to you know, I'm going to be upset because you're going to suffer, but I have to do it because I'm your mother and I want you to succeed. And that whole edge on it is, I think kind of hilarious because of because of the serious you know because in real life you, you know you just can't do you know we might want to do that but you just can't do that in the way that this mother can do it and his response to it also is you know you know just almost made me laugh yeah and so it's so it's uh, you know in that sense it's unintentionally funny yeah what, i mean what yeah, we're go, not getting here oh sorry what no, i was go ahead, say is, yeah and i just dropped it into our chat which is what we're not hearing right now is the like hand zimmer over the top just so pretentious like soundtrack that runs throughout the course of this film in these moments of like like it's so over over like stressful like it's it's anxiety inducing how over produced the soundtrack is and, and that just adds to like the almost unnes- unexpected comical nature of it that it's like this is way too serious bro take it down a notch you had an 11 please bring it down about 25 percent. right i think you know uh, i mean it, it it's it's sort of weird because i mean it's almost unintentionally funny also in the sense that you know paul atreides the the protagonist here he's kind of he's kind of a typical teenager like he doesn't want to do a lot of yes. stuff he's supposed to do and like <laughs> one of the early scenes you know one of his fighting trainers is trying to get him to wake up and train for fighting. And he's like, I don't really want to do it. It's like Napoleon Dynamite or something. He's just kind of, I don't, I don't really feel like it. I'm really tired. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like he's this, he's this I, moody, annoying teenager. Well, I mean, Irene, uh, yeah. that, that must have awakened some, some familiar <laughs> yes. uh, moments and, for you. Right. And I actually wrote down the quote. I saw it somewhere. I'm not, he, you know, he says, I'm not in the mood to fight. And the trainer says, what's mood you fight when it's time to you know and and that that it's really you know you can't it's very hard to win that battle as a parent you know um and <laughs> right he is that kind of uh you know and i thought actually i just read anthony lane's review and and which just came in the in the in the new yorker today and and he he's kind of frustrated at the beginning with you know like he's not even that strong his muscles aren't even that good you know and so he's sort of like the older sort of boomer perspective looking at him and saying, you know, this kid, you know, he's just a punk kid. What's going on? You know? And so there is, you know, I don't think the story uh, invites us to have that attitude, but this movie kind of does. So I guess one of the real questions, I mean, I was really shocked when the movie ended. I mean, it's a long movie, but uh, I was shocked at how little it been accomplished really. Um, And, and Helder, you sort of wonder about that. I mean, people, I don't mean to categorize you, but you know you you love this <laughs> genre, uh, and and you I think are willing to ride out some complexities and difficulties uh, of the genre in order to get to material that you care about. But you know, for the average audience member, I mean, you know, just sort of 
cutting it off right where they cut it off and and then saying, well, you know, I mean, as, as they released the thing, they didn't even really have a clear green light to do the second half of it. They have since announced that they are definitely doing that. Um, I, I think that's the part that actually gets me, Colin, is the fact that uh, I was hoping and I was under the impression knowing that he Villeneuve has always wanted to do this as a two part or multi part film. I didn't realize he hadn't actually like finished filming the second part until mm-hmm. like sit there in the theater yesterday and then like see part one pop up granted i already know that they're doing a part two because they announced it this week but still being like wait you hadn't even planned for that part (laughs) what the Mm -hmm. hell and then i'd heard about the ending of the kind of like cliffhanger ending that we're getting which you know if you're netflix that makes sense because they tend to like cancel their shows with the cliffhanger um and not let let it go so maybe audiences are ready for this we're ready to be disappointed now that like we're not going to actually get the the subsequent um, follow up to know how everything ends, but um, it it really was like a lot of build up. You get this like weird Game of Thrones almost uh, happening where it's like, yep, we got betrayed, and then you know, there's a whole bunch of things. A lot of the main characters that you've come to like, and I'm glad that they get to flesh out characters like um, uh, Josh Brolin's character, uh, Gurney, and um, Duncan Idaho, which I think is a fabulous name. I don't know why everybody's getting getting down on it but getting to see Duncan Idaho really like own the film and his roles in the film uh, as portrayed by Jason Momoa one of the few like heart hearty characters it was it was to me I was really into it and I was enthralled and like enjoying the film um what do you mean one of the yeah, that, characters just one of the characters that you really kind of identify with most of the others are just so like you know like Paul himself just so droopy emo and like like I like Duncan, I, I think, goes to that discussion um, that I was kind of triggering with the idea of um, there's no humor in this. And Duncan Idaho is really the only one that seems to be yes. laughing and having a good a good part and uh, and enjoying himself even when fighting. Um, Jason Momoa as your comic. Jason relief. Momoa. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah at, you know, the, you already are sort of probably in troubled waters if Jason Momoa is your <laughs> comedian. And the thing. I'd also right. like to say that Duncan Idaho is certainly no worse a name than Mace Windu or, you know, a exactly. lot of other, I mean, George George Lucas's names are really terrible. Uh, Duncan Idaho, I, I agree, has kind of a nice, you know, weird permanence to it. Um, so one thing we should say before we run out of time is one of the other controversies here is, uh, you know, just just as kind of was the case with the David Lynch thing, there and, and there is a female character who's sort of a counterpart to Paul, uh, and she's played in this by Zendaya, except that Irene, we kind of only see her <laughs> fleetingly. We get we get glimpses. They should say, like in the credits, and glimpses of Zendaya. <laughs> I absolutely agree. I, well, I was waiting and waiting and waiting for more of that. And now I have to wait till 2023, which is supposedly <laughs> when the next movie's coming out, you know. And by then, uh, you know, we probably will have forgotten about the cliffhanger. But, you know, I guess we can remember it. But 2023 is a long time to wait to, to get to see more of Zendaya. And because there's so much, there's so much, there's so many hints. But why are there just hints? Why didn't they have more of her in this? What do you think? You know, did they want to just... Was this a deliberate choice or? I think it's a deliberate choice. I mean, again, I, bringing it back to what I remember of Sean Young in the as the same character in Dune by Lynch, she's barely in it as well, but is built up the same way in these like dream sequences. Granted, we get a lot more of Zendaya or Zendaya in this in this particular iteration. So I'm hoping we get to see more of her actually like 
the love se- the love sequence just felt rushed in the Lynch film as the rest of the film did. But in this, like, it's nice to. See, I'm hoping we get much more build up, much more character development between the two, and we see her actually um, mature as the character in the sequel or in the second part. Um, I did actually, in addition to Jason Momoa, when we have no like humor for a while, we do kind of get a little bit of her like teenage snark at the end, which I liked. I liked that she was giving back to Paul what what he uh, was kind of like losing in the sense of like being so emo and she's kind of like playing off of that a little bit. Um, yeah. So. All right. But we wanted more. We, yeah. we definitely I, wanted more. All right. So yeah. we, we probably have to stop there. I would also just quickly uh, close by saying there's some other really terrific uh, actors in the here. Often they are so made up as to be unrecognizable. I mean, Stellan Skarsgård as uh, the Baron, uh, the only way that I knew it was him was kind of from his voice. And at times you kind oh, of- that's who that was? Yeah. You kind of want to see the face of people too. I mean, putting Charlotte Rampling behind Ugh. a veil. Uh, like I want to see Charlotte Rampling's face. I, I know the character probably calls for a veil, but you know, if I can just really quickly toss in one thing, since you did bring up that I saw it at IMAX, yeah. and you guys were were worried about or like feeling left out. Mm. Honestly, at least the projection I saw was not as good. I would have preferred to have just watched it at home. Mm. It was uh, it it was engrossing, but at the same time felt very muted. And I'm looking at the photo that Jonathan used on uh, online to with the sand do where you first see the sandworm coming out, you can barely see it on the screen in the IMAX theater. I saw it. So I don't so know. You, you couldn't see Charlotte Rampling more clearly. That's what nope, I was. Not thinking. at all. Again, like I couldn't tell those people, those actors were even in it. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, we have to go. Uh, we have to take a break. Uh, also, I have a dental appointment with Dr. Yue after the show. So I'm kind of concerned about that. Uh, he's going to put a poison tooth in my mouth. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Welcome back. This is The Nose. Uh, Helder Mira and Irene Papoulis are our panelists today. Uh, and... Uh, we've got two more topics uh, to approach here. Um, there was sort of a, a little bit of a buildup um, to the whole idea of Facebook. Facebook, the company. Facebook, the company that also owns Instagram and Oculus and WhatsApp. Facebook, the company, changing its name, rebranding. I should say 
we're we're going to be doing a show very soon about the act of rebranding. And we, this show, is also we are participating in a rebranding process. Um, can I just ask why you're doing that? Because the company is just doing stuff like that. I mean, it wasn't. Oh. I, I, it'll be interesting. It'll be. <laughs> We're not like changing the name to McHale's Navy or Navy or something, you know. We're, we'll still be the Colin McEnroe show, but there's like other ways that you can kind of rebrand. So all I'm saying is, you know, in a way that is fitting for the new name of uh, of Facebook, we are going to be having a lot of conversations one way or another about rebranding uh, in in the weeks ahead. Uh, but let's hear Mark Zuckerberg because it's always so great to hear Mark Zuckerberg. He always uh, lifts our souls and our spirits. Uh, here he is talking about the rebrand. I am proud to announce that starting today, our company is now Meta. Our mission remains the same. It's still about bringing people together. But now we have a new North Star to help bring the metaverse to life. And we have a new name that reflects the full breadth of what we do and the future that we want to help build. From now on, we're going to be metaverse first, not Facebook first. That means that over time, you won't need to use Facebook to use our other services. And as our new brand starts showing up in our products, I hope that people come to know the meta brand and the future that we stand for. I used to love studying classics, and the word meta comes from the Greek word meaning beyond. For me, it symbolizes that there is always more to build. There is always a next chapter to the story. All right. So I don't know. Irene, just you're the English teacher here. Uh, give us uh, your sense. Give us your reaction uh, well, to, to all of yeah. this. Speaking of an unintentionally funny, you know, because <laughs> um, you know, it means beyond. So then why do you're calling your why are you calling your company beyond if that's how you how you see it? You know, I mean, beyond what? Beyond, you know, metaverse. So that, you know, I mean, I, I think it's also, a, you know, self-referential, you know, it has that meaning. And, you know, I mean, my father taught me the word metaphysical, you know, a long time ago. And he said meta means beyond. And I've always keep, kept that in mind. But now I, but then I've come to learn that it's also, we use it differently. We use it as, you know, like metacognitive. You're thinking about yourself thinking, you know, you're talking about yourself thinking. So what is the meta that, you know, I think the, you know, I think this is more a, gen, a millennial or a generation X concept than, than Gen Z actually, because I don't think Gen Z, you know, as somebody who's taught all those generations of students, um, I think the idea of being meta going beyond what you're doing it's it's they live it as opposed to thinking about it as as separate from what they're doing. You know, Instagram just is life. It's not like you're thinking Instagram is going to be separate. I'm going to be I'm going to be um, commenting on life. It just is life. Whereas before that, we thought it was a way of there. You know, there was some you know meta going beyondness of it. If that makes any sense. Instagram, is, uh, Instagram isn't life. Football is life. I'm sorry. I had a little Ted Lasso moment there. Uh, no, that's great. I, I love that line and I just love the meta-ness of it. Yeah. As a Gen Xer who like loves meta media, like I, you know, I grew up reading stuff from like uh, comic books by Graham Morrison and Alan Moore where they really get, and Neil Gaiman who really get into like the meta aspect of, of writing and creating comics to reflect that the characters are actually in a comic and you know they're in a comic and they you know you're in a they're they're in a comic and they can see you as the reader type of situation and then 
years later coming to community with one of the best meta characters who is uh, Abed Nadir played by Danny Pudi and just how much like Abed is all about, he's a stand-in for the audience who are like, know that they're in a sitcom pretending to be like enjoying the sitcom and participating in the sitcom. And I think that's maybe where where, uh, Zuck is coming from with his meta, like trying to appeal to community fans who are like really into creating all the meta-ness about being as part of like a media universe of, uh, of, you know, community, I guess. I don't know. I'm a little rambling there because I'm going to go into meta first. But then he thinks it is the community. It's not, it's not talking about the community, right? Or it's not. It's a little bit of both. Like there's a whole, like, I mean, that is part of like, I'm just going to go into community here, but like Abed's thing of being part of a school that's knowing he's also a student or an actor in the school system. And I, it just goes down that weird little spiral rabbit hole that is my ADHD brain right now. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I want to go back to something Irene said, which I think is very interesting, which is meta is, you know, basically a prefix. And so um, your name is a prefix. That's weird. Um, and, and yes, we have sort of changed that word uh, from it formerly meant beyond. Now it means either beyond or about, as you, you've, you've suggested. But I think, you know, when we should make it clear that when Zuckerberg talks about all this, he has a very concrete plan in mind, which is that we're going to stop uh, interacting eventually, or we're going to gra- gradually phase from interacting with his products on a phone screen or a laptop screen or a tablet screen and more and more be buying glasses or whatever uh, that we're going to wear, where we're going to experience his products uh, in a very different, in a more immersive and intrusive way. And that's and less a, meta. Yeah. Right. You're right. But I mean, that's what he's talking about when he talks about the metaverse. When I wrote about this uh, for, in my Hearst column last week, I said, it's sort of like the dentist who wrecked your teeth and molested you while you were under the gas, announcing that he also wants to start being your gynecologist. You know, I mean, this this is a company that has abused our trust under its conventional paradigm, you know, in a way in ways that are just becoming more and more magnified with each passing day. And and what they are saying right now in the course of this rebrand is they would like to be able to mess with us on a much more intimate and and kind of invasive basis. Uh, And I just am thinking, why in the world would I ever put on a pair of glasses that Mark Zuckerberg made for me? Like, I I don't even trust him, you know, uh, with Facebook, which I'm very, very familiar with. I just feel like this is, you know, in some ways, Helder, this is a very tough sell. And no wonder they're thinking about rebranding. It's a completely tough sell. I mean, I can't recall which... uh program I was listening to yesterday that was just relating and reporting that like basically no one's really none of the youth are going on to Facebook no one's following it all it is is like you know our generations and above like it's all these you know to them all the olds that are like finally getting on there and doing stuff and I only have it personally for like relating to my family uh, because that's how we're able to do it but it's like otherwise why are we no one's jumping onto this platform wanting to be on there anymore I mean I think even when those of us in social that have to work with social media are just, we feel begrudgingly we have to like do something on Facebook. It's we're like Paul trying to get up in the morning. No, do we really have to? I don't, I'm not in the mood for this Facebook crap anymore. I mean, I, I, 
I'm done doom scrolling on Facebook now. I like post my one photo in, a day and that's it. And well, just in, hope. in the metaverse, they're going to give you a completely different family anyway. You know, you I want to be in the metaverse that doesn't have uh, Zuckerberg. Can I be yeah. in that universe, like uh, the Bizarro metaverse? I think Can I he, do that? I think he's well, uh, it, I think he's peed on that tree. I think he, the, he's, he he wants the whole metaverse. Hey, I, I mean, I, I, I think don't Paul mean, is. I mean, I think Zuckerberg is our Bizarro, isn't yeah. he? Just he's such a robot. So uh, unfortunately, I would love to continue this conversation, but uh, if we want to squeeze in our other topic here, we probably have to switch right now. And that is, and we won't have a lot of time for this, but Irene, uh, one of the things that kind of came up was this whole question of content, TV content in particular, that's created during the pandemic and and more or less has its feet planted in a fictional reality, but a, a contemporary fictional reality. And an awful lot of it simply ignores the fact that there's any, there, nobody's wearing a mask, nobody's talking about vaccinations. Uh, it just sort of skates past that. And that could be both a good thing and a bad thing. So, I, I, Irene, I give you the floor. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? It's, um, it's neither. Uh, it's, I mean, I think I, for me, it's great. I love, you know, watching a show that has nothing to do with the pandemic because it just makes me forget about it. Um, but at the same time, I think it was um, Jonathan who, 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 the producer who said, um, it's weird though. Like you feel like, yeah, but this isn't reality because reality is something totally different. So in a way the, the, you know, the meta world is the world where we don't have masks on, you know, um, but yeah, you know, but I wouldn't want to like, what if succession, if in succession, they all had masks on that would kind of ruin things. And so I, I, I'm not sure, but I, I I like the idea of not wearing, not having masks in the show. Like it's sort of like maybe we'll go, we're going to go back to that someday, aren't we? Are we? Aren't we? That's what I'm hoping. And and like you, Irene, the reason I'm glad we're not they're not really addressing it so much, or at all in some cases, is I do prefer to just watch these shows as the moment that the shows want to be taking place in which is a world where we haven't been in a pandemic and you have to worry about that like the only real two real shows that i've watched uh that have been filmed during the pandemic have been only murders in the building and reservation dogs and neither of those address it and although there is the moments where they're getting into elevators and and only murders in the building i'm like how are you people all three it's only one person wear your masks but that's about it like i try to ignore the rest of it but then there was a show that came out early or last year that I think bombed with Ted Danson called uh, Mr. Mayor, where he's a mayor, the mayor of LA. And that actually addresses and, and acknowledges the pandemic. And in fact, the first episode, I think, has some weird comments about it. And it flopped. It was so bad. It just felt really awkward to be watching that and being like, yeah, you can't really like, I don't, what's there's like, what's the South Park thing about there's cert, like 20 years you have to wait until you can make fun of like bad things. Um, so I think like, like the Jerry, Jeremy Hobson wrote in his tweet, I, I do feel like nobody wants to think about it when they want to be entertained. And that's me like there's enough, enough uh, crap in the world to to keep me down that I want to be entertained. Not I think it's also, if I could just jump in for one more second. It's, I think it's also that we all, there's something so, there's a lot of sameness in a way with the pandemic in the sense that we're all in it together. We're all, we all don't like it. We all have to do these things. And that doesn't really make for interesting art somehow. You know, it's just like to, to, to focus on that fact. Like, yeah, we know, like whenever someone says, oh, this is horrible because I wish we could be in person. Of course, we all know that, you know? And so it doesn't like, where's the new, I mean, I guess people, artists will find newness and freshness in it, but 
it's hard. Yeah, I, mean, I, like I, I, I learned a couple. I learned a new term as we were preparing for this conversation, and that is bottle show. A bottle show is something like White Lotus or Nine Perfect Strangers, where the entire show takes place in 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 one you know setting that is very isolated from the rest of the world. And there's even kind of a term now, COVID bottle show, where in fact the bottle the bottle show that quality of it helps extract it from the world of COVID. But I, I would say two things. Just sort of I'm echoing things that you guys have already said to a certain degree. But yeah, I mean, in terms of Nine Perfect Strangers, do I want to watch a show starring Nicole Kidman where she wears a mask the entire time? Probably not. You know, I'd like to be able to see Nicole Kidman uh, just the same way I want to see Charlotte Rampling, damn it. Uh, but, but also, I think we've all had a sense over the last 20 months or so that COVID is writing the script of our lives. You know, we're, we're no longer writing the script. We're very much, you know, beholden to, and so many things are, are drastically altered by the pandemic. The, and, and so to you know, if you inject, if you inject the pandemic into succession, then it becomes about the Roy family coping with the pandemic. You know, if you inject, uh, uh, God help us, if you inject the pandemic into the flight attendant, uh, the terrific uh, Kelly Cuoco series, I mean, it's going to be just about flight attendants dealing with crazy people who don't want to wear masks. Uh, there's a way in which it so overwhelms narratives and kind of deprives the auteur of the ability to write a narrative uh, that's about anything except the pandemic that you can sort of see why. I mean, Curb Your Enthusiasm manages to deal with it kind of glancingly uh, and, and to acknowledge its reality. And, and the morning show, I guess, I, d- I don't watch that, but I guess it it really did address being a journalist in the time of the pandemic. But, you know, I mean, for the most part, it, it, you can't write something if you're going to put the pandemic in there without the pandemic overwhelming it. Uh, all right. Somebody else have the last word here. Or not. Irene? Yeah. <laughs> or I mean, was, I was going to say, there, yeah. there was that really bad movie that I'm trying to remember who was in it um, that came out that was trying to address. There's been a couple of movies I've seen trying to address the pandemic as like as its own character. And to a degree, I haven't seen any of them become really successful or even worth watching. Uh, one had to do with the heist. And I can't for the life of me remember. Sorry, I did my homework on this. I really did. Sorry, Irene. I know you're a professor. You're chiding me for this. But um yeah, it just is like, I don't want to see a pandemic movie while in the midst of a pandemic. I don't want to see a show about pandemics, about the pandemic while we're in the midst of it. Like, I, that's why I want to get off Zoom half the time. And I'd rather be in the studio with you guys talking about our pandemic uh, versus like having to do this via Zoom because we're on Zoom all the time or locked in my own like bottle episode. That's how I was feeling for most of the pandemic. I was my own bottle episode living in my house alone with the frequent visit from my dad and that was the outside world like otherwise it's just like we're stuck in this do we really want to be entertained by it it's just going to cause more anxiety if you're entertained by it all right we're probably gonna have to stop there in order for you to have time to make some recommendations on the other side of that so why don't we do that we'll be back and that's the way i like it that's the way i like it the winter is long in the city and that's the way i like it so Backstage in Pomona And that's the way I
All right. Uh, first of all, I have to thank uh, our technical producer, Kat Pastor. She will be rebranding as the Reverend Feline, something like that. I don't know. We haven't rebranded her yet. Uh, and Jonathan McPants, who already rebranded from being Jonathan McNichol. Uh, we may have to rebrand him a third time. Who can say? Or a second time, I guess that would be. Uh, he's the producer of this episode. Also, thanks to our non-rebranded intern, Dylan Reyes, uh, who I think is there uh, in the control room right now. I see him there. Uh, and uh, thanks especially to our two panelists today, Helder Mira and Irene Papoulis. We're going to make some recommendations for you uh, for uh, this weekend. Irene, why don't you get us going? Okay. Um, I, I, have, I have three quick things. One is, uh, you know, and it's sort of along the lines of, you know, Zuckerberg said, we can finally put people at the center of our technology. And I think art that doesn't that forget, you know, that just puts people at the center, period, forget of our technology is, is what I, what I'm drawn to more, you know, the most always. And, um, you know, the, the nuances of human psychology. And so I've been, I'm, there was a profile in the New Yorker of this Irish, um, novelist, Colm Tobin, T-O-I-B, Tobin, um, and after reading that, I just I, I, I had read his short stories before, but I hadn't read any of his novels. And I'm reading The Master right now. It's kind of an imagining of the inner life of Henry James. And it's just really it's just pulling me right into his 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 psyche in an interesting way and the feelings and repressed homosexuality that he had. Um, and it's just it's just really nice and fun and beautifully not fun, uh, fun in a good way. Um, written novel. He, he wrote one about Thomas Mann that I'm going to read next. But anyway. Anyway, and then I'm also, I love Scandinavian noir of all sorts. And there's this um, show called Border Town that I kind of got addicted to. And it's really good. It's also about psychological texture. And the third one really quickly oh, is. Tell us where Border Town is to be found. Border Town is on Netflix. Oh, okay. um, and it's, yeah, the, the acting is great. And the nuances of psychology are interesting. But it's also a, you know, murder, mis murder story. Um, and then also, I do, if I could just have another second. Uh, 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 working out with weights when you're older, you know, like I actually have been going to this trainer just temporarily who's taught me all these different ways to use weights. And it's so great. And don't be afraid if you think it's not for you because it's just great for your body and it feels really good. And there's plenty of older people in gyms that are working with weights and I, and do it. If you have any interest, do it. All right. Helder Mira, what are you going to recommend? Uh, so here are the three things I want to just quickly shoot off. Uh, first is that I mentioned uh, Reservoir Dogs, which is available on Hulu. It's a show uh, co-done by Taika Watiti. It's all using um, Native American actors and producers and writers. It's a fantastic look at these four uh, these four youth on a reservation in Tulsa. Oklahoma. The second, which I also well, mentioned, I just want to jump in. I just want to jump in and say that within the last twenty-four or forty-eight hours, they've had drive-by paintball shootings in New Haven, and I'm wondering if that's a reservation dogs kind of influenced thing, or maybe it's I, it's always. I think it's life imitating art, limitate, imitating art or life because we get those up here in Hartford way too much. All right, um, continue. <laughs> second was a. Uh, Again, something I referenced earlier, which is Jodorowsky's Dune. It is a fantastic documentary, uh, both about the filmmaker Alejandro Jodorowsky. It's available on uh, Amazon Prime, but it's about him, but also just about all the process that goes into it, um, into creating a film like that, that he wanted to create in pre like Star Wars era. So like it would have been the great, you know, the first real space opera after uh, 2001. But it also like seeing how he... And his team 
ended up setting, um, planting the seeds for like Alien and, and Star Wars and so many other films that came after the work that they were putting together um, is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Very entertaining. And again, that's on Amazon Prime and that's Yodorowsky with a J at the, at the start. And then the final thing I want to do is this comic book series that just started called Righteous Thrust for Vengeance. It's by Image Comics. It's written by Rick Remender, who's a fantastic writer known for his noir writing. But I specifically got into it because the artist Andre Arujo is this artist from Portugal who's been doing some amazing comic book art um, over the past decade. Uh, I love his work so much, and I think more people should be following him as an artist um, and seeing what he's creating. All right. Um, I'm going to quickly uh, recommend uh, an essay that I first I encountered kind of an abridged version of it uh, in uh, Harper's in the, uh, and uh, it's by a guy named Greg Jackson. Uh, it originally appeared in the March uh, issue of an online publication. At least I've only found it online called The Point. It's called Sources of Life. Uh, it's, it's about the intersection of politics and culture. Uh, and it's about more than that. But it's it's kind of about all the things that I've been interested in, in, in lately, uh, and, and it's remarkable. So Sources of Life uh, by Greg Jackson. Read the whole essay, the one that appears in The Point. Uh, it'll blow your mind. Um, and then quickly, just some nice, fun, not particularly upsetting stuff that you can watch on Netflix. One of them is the documentary about Ella Fitzgerald. And, you know, I mean, you just can't go wrong with that, right? You're going to be seeing and hearing Ella Fitzgerald sing a lot of songs and learning a little bit more about her life. And uh, and it actually kind of gets uh, into stuff that I just hadn't even fully understood. But it's mostly just incredibly enjoyable uh, to uh, to watch and, and listen to Ella Fitzgerald. I feel the same way. Uh, Netflix is also has, has, is hosting a a documentary right now about Betty White. Uh, same thing. It's like, you know, how can you not enjoy a documentary about Betty White? Uh, and, and that is very much the case, too. And once again, some interesting stuff, including more than I had known about her her marriage and to the love of her life, Alan Ludden, the game show host of, of Password, and, and more, and much more than that. All right. So all of that, uh, I hope it makes you happy. I hope the show made you happy, too. I was happy to talk to my friends, Irene and Helder, to work with Kat and Mr. McPants and we will be back next week, starting on Monday with a show about blimps. Up the street from the seminary. You know, it's a very, very, very cool place to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> it's cozy. Like a Cracker Barrel. Yeah, we all be laughing, talking, joking. Talking about this and talking about that. And talk about everything as a matter about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah